Yes, love handles. Isn't that cool? Isn't that sweet? You guys are here this morning. You came to church. We're talking about love handles at church. If you've been with us over the past six months, you uh, back uh, in the fall we did uh, you know this whole idea of finding your shape, and now we have love handles. So like you're expecting Jillian Michaels or Richard Simmons or Jack Lane to be up here, right? We're going to do like some exercises. No, that's not going to happen. I promise. Uh, we are going to be over the next four weeks talking about love handles and getting a grip on what the Bible says about love. How about that? Isn't that fun? And uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Todd. I'm the lead pastor. I'm really glad that you've uh, chosen to be with us this morning. Now, I just want to begin this morning. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Everybody, yeah, ready for the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. Panthers, Panthers fans? Broncos fans? All right. <laughs> Your team is not in it this morning? Now I'm with you. You really don't care? Any of you really don't care this morning? All right, very good, very good. <laughs> uh, listen, we are um, going to be in Love Handles, and I want to preface this by saying I realize that some of you are automatically thinking that because we're focusing on this particular chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, and because the message series over the next few weeks is about the subject of love, that this is going to be a marriage series, or it's going to be a dating series, and some of you are like, you know, man, I, I really don't want to hear marriage series and like the whole dating thing is not really going well for me right now. So I really don't want to hear that. Okay, listen, um, I'm going to put your mind at ease. We're not going there. That's not where we're going. The subject is going to be love. But as you're going to find out over the next few weeks, uh, all of the relationships that we have should be built on a foundation of God's view of love. Whether that is a marriage relationship, whether that is a dating relationship, or whether it's a relationship between you and your kids, or you and your siblings, or uh, you and your friends, or neighbors, and people in our church, and even in our community. So, I want to take off the table this idea that, uh, you know, that this message here is going to be geared to uh, romantic uh, relationships specifically. It's not. And so, hopefully, that will cause some of you to come back next week and the week after and the week after, because I'm very excited about this particular passage. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are going to be there for a month, okay? So this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to dig really deep on this. We're going to roll up our sleeves. Uh, we are going to find out what God's Word has to say about this thing called love that really is so sometimes confusing and elusive and kind of frustrating for us. And I believe that God has a better way than what our way is and what we think is right. All right. You know, it's interesting. Um, this uh, series like this, uh, you know, you have to have uh, something to kind of grasp onto. Uh, if any of you were in the corporate world or are in currently in the corporate world, or if you work for a company, uh, most of your companies are, are probably have trademarks on certain things. They, they may have some kind of legal uh, naming rights to certain products or uh, certain things. And uh, I was actually, believe it or not, a pre-law major. And in our classes, we uh, took some trademark courses and uh, we discovered a, a few things. And there's an interesting thing that back years ago we discovered, it still is something that's very much kind of uh, prevalent in, in the legal world, in the corporate legal world. And that's the idea of general trademarks or generic or generalized trademarks. 
Here's what companies do. They, they have some kind of product, and um, they may be invented or created or come up with it, and they want to give it a name to allow that product or that idea to stand out. And so they'll come up with a great name, and what happens is, is over time, that name is used so widely among Americans and in the world, um, and it usually ends up covering their product, but it ends up covering other products as well. And it's called a generalized trademarks. And actually, some companies, because they do such a great job branding their product, they'll actually lose their trademark legally um, because everybody uses that name for that particular product. And there's a lot of other companies out there that will create a like product, and people will use that name. Um, For instance, for a long time, uh, this is kind of dating me, I think, a little bit, but a copier, you know, where you go and make copies, was often called the brand name, what is it? Xerox. All right. I didn't date myself as much as I thought. Man, thank you for jumping in the boat with me. That's awesome. Okay, so Xerox. And uh, we, we often will say Xerox. Well, Xerox was a brand name, and it was a corporate name that the company Xerox gave to one of the very first photocopiers. All right, And so people around the world for years will say, go make a Xerox of that thing. Now, I got to tell you, in my family, I grew up in a corporate home. My dad worked for a company called Lanier, and they also made copy machines. So in our house, we never Xeroxed anything, anything. We made copies of stuff, okay? So you got kicked out and you had to sleep on the street if you said Xerox. So um, another one that's one of the oldest trademarks out there that became a generalized trademark is linoleum. <laughs> linoleum. So a guy by the name of Frederick Walton created linoleum in the 1800s as a plastic type floor covering. And today we use that word to describe a lot of different floor coverings that are not linoleum, the name brand or the company. And that was his company. And he ended up losing that trademark years later. One that's a little more current, the word app. Who do you think that was trademarked by? Apple, exactly. Apple trademarked the word app, and now we use that in general, app and and app store. Believe it or not, the word, this is funny, the word zipper was trademarked by B.F. Goodrich when they made boots back in the early 1900s. Isn't that amazing? And it was trademarked, and of course now, zippers, whether it's made by B.F. Goodrich or any other company, um, is used across the board to describe that. Um, something that you probably use every single day, and especially when you're sick, is a what? Kleenex. Kleenex is a brand name, but what is it really? It is a tissue. It's a facial tissue, exactly. And so that's what that is. Uh, Q-tip is another one. Unilever created that. Uh, 3M created scotch tape. Uh, You can buy dozens of different brands of scotch tape, but we all call it tape, right? Scotch tape. It's different than duct tape and masking tape and so on and so forth. Probably the most widely used one now is when you and I go out to the internet and we want to search for something, what do we do? We Google it. Google it. That's an excellent example of a name that was trademarked that we use commonly now. Now it's become a generic trademark. Uh, Today, later tonight, we will all watch the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is a trademark name by the NFL. Isn't that amazing? The NFL is really good at this, by the way, if you haven't found that out. They're really good at trademarking it. But you and I use, like, Super Bowl generically. Like when, you know, if you're in a business or an industry and you have a big season, like if you're in the retail, you know, uh, business, your Super Bowl is, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, right? In church work, it's Easter, all right? That's the way it goes, right? And I'm not talking about monetarily, but I'm talking uh, towards our mission. 
We use the word Super Bowl in a lot of different ways, and it's become generalized in nature. The same thing has happened with a word that we use probably every day in some form or fashion, and it's a word that God had the trademark on from day one, and that word is love. And what has happened is over time, that word love has been kind of spread so thin, and in doing so, it's lost so much of its meaning that here we are in 2016, sorry, I almost said 15, 2016, and um, we have this idea of what love is, and it has changed so radically from God's intent. And even though he created it, He made it, he defined it, and listen to this, he is love. We've taken that word and we've watered it down so much that the meaning looks nothing like the way God meant it. And so we're kind of guilty of this whole idea of making something that God intended to be one thing and watering it down so much. And so my challenge to you in this whole series, which today is very foundational, but it's going to give us really some anchors, some really handles, if you will, love handles on love handles, uh, that will help us over the course of the next few weeks to understand, because we are going to, this is going to be tough, I'll tell you. I mean, we talk about long suffering and kindness, and it's just, it's going to be tough. And, and so I hope you come back. All right. So anyway, but we have to understand where the whole concept came from. We have to understand what God's view is. And so my challenge to you today and my challenge to you over the course of the next few weeks is allow God to undo some of maybe the programming that you have about the idea of love so that he can build that back up with what he believes is true about this word called love. We've allowed it even in the church to kind of seep. We've allowed it to kind of um, drift and fade in terms of of its meaning. And and back when 1 Corinthians was written in the first century, the Greeks had different words. Look, look, our our English language is so simplified. Sometimes it's overly simplified, right? Um, Like so much so that like in the Greek language, there were at least four different words for love that would describe a different type of love. And I want to I give you these as kind of, kind of context for where we're going to go. And so we'll, we'll give you these four words. They're, they're in your um, message notes, or you can write them down, excuse me, in your message notes. They're online. You can check that out. The first one is this. Uh, they used a, a word called eros. Now, most of you know what that kind of love is. Uh, you're going to celebrate that next week, right? Because it's Valentine's Day. It's men, 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 listen to me. Next Sunday is Valentine's Day, guys, okay? I'm just fair warning, right, okay? It is Valentine's Day, do your job, okay? I'm doing mine on Friday. Eros is the erotic or romantic love. It is based on, listen to this, it's based on attraction, it's conditional, I'm gonna talk about that in a moment, and it's self-centered. The the word or the kind of the sentence that we can kind of surmise it or summarize it by is, is I love you because I'm attracted to you. You fall in love with someone, and you do that based on their physical appearance. Well, guess what? If you're young in here, you don't understand this now, but what happens if you're not young in here over time? Does your physical appearance stay the same? No, it doesn't. Neither does theirs, the one you fell in love with. And so that's why it's conditional is because if you fall in love with that person, 
and you fall in love with them just because of this, it is conditional. Because the reason that you fell in love with them in the first place was based on something that changed. Maybe you fell in love with their personality and it has changed. Maybe you fell in love with what they did and it changed. Maybe you fell in love with the job or career they have and somewhere along the line it changed. So it can be conditional. And Eros, that romantic type of love, while not bad, is self-centered. I love you because of some quality that you have or something that you have. That's the first kind of love. And even in Scripture, if you take a really deep look at these four different types of love, you'll understand that that's kind of the lowest form of love, even though Scripture talks about it. And it's not a bad kind of love, but it can't be built by itself. It cannot be the foundation. If it's foundation, it will crumble, I promise you. The second kind is storge. This is an obligatory type love that's based on duty or devotion or commitment or loyalty. Um, It is also conditional because it is based on the nature of a relationship. The the best uh, description of this is someone who's married and they have kids and they love their family out of obligation. And by the way, it's not bad. Storge is not bad. There's an obligation, like a sense of responsibility, and so they love out of obligation. I love you because I should love you based on the nature of the relationship. It's a husband and wife may have arrows, but they, there also may be storge there. It's why um, you know, a, a, a man back in the old days will go out and, and provide for his family. It's because of storge-type love. And he'll come back. I love you because I should love you. The problem is it's, it's conditional. Because at some point in time, that relationship could change. It may not stay the same. The last one, and this is the most closely related to the God type of love, is phileo kind of love. And phileo is companionship or brotherly or ladies. I'm just going to say sisterly type of love. And there is a city in the United States named after this type of love that is, you can say it with me, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Sorry if you're an Eagles fan. They're not in it either. All right. I have compassion for you because I'm a Falcons fan, and they didn't even come close. So that's based, it's a companion or a brotherly love. It is based on affection between two people, not physical affection. Let's go back to that one for a moment. It's based on fondness. It's also based on a give and take. It is a two-way type of love. Eros is a one-way that can become a two-way. Storge can be a two-way, but it's not always. But phileo is always a two-way type love. It's back and forth. I love you because we're friends. And guys, we, we say it differently, don't we? Like, love you, man. Love you, man. Way to go, bro. Way to go, dude. Love you, man. That's me and my best friend, Brian. We have been friends since eighth grade. I love that guy. But I phileo him, right? And he fillets me. I'm just kidding. So that's the phileo type of love. It's brotherly kind of love. It's this companionship that you may have with someone else. Have you ever had one of those friends when you haven't seen him for years and you just pick up from where you left off? That's phileo type of love. It's the closest kind to the last one. And the last one is this. It's agape. Agape type love. And this is a godly love. This is based on the fact, and I want you to say this with me, God is love. That's what it's based on. It's based on the fact that he didn't just create love. He didn't define love. He is love. And it is completely unconditional. I love what Cynthia said earlier because 
you know, the, the prayers she prayed and, and some of the comments she made as we were singing some of those songs that dovetail into this message because there are so many times that we fail God in our behavior or in who we are or who we are not or what we do and how we think and the attitudes and this and that. And God always loves. Are you with me? It's not conditional. It's different. And it's this, to love even when the recipient is unkind or unresponsive or unpleasant or unworthy. And our problem is is that we go, wait a minute, that person is unresponsive, they're unkind, uh, they're unpleasant, and they're unworthy, so I'm going to stop loving them. Guess what? You are unkind, I am. You are, I am unworthy. We are unpleasant. And sometimes we're unresponsive to God's love. And did he stop loving us? And I'm sorry because if you're a Christ follower in here today, what this passage is going to tell us is that he commands us. He tells us that this is the kind of love that every relationship that we have should be based on. That even though someone may be unpleasant and unkind and unworthy and unresponsive, we still should love them. We still should love them. Agape desires only the good of the recipient of the love. It's non-selfish. It has no selfishness in it whatsoever. Listen to this. It's used 321 times in the New Testament alone. It's used 321 times and many, many other times in the Old Testament under a Hebrew word that essentially is the same word. Um, But the New Testament is essentially the only book that has the word agape in it from that first century. It's almost non-existent outside of God's word to us. That's how unique That's how serious, that's how special God's type of love is. But I think that sometimes that we forget that even though he extended it to us, if we have received that kind of love, then his expectation is that we do our best to love others with the same type of love. And then that should be the basis, the foundation of any relationship we have, whether it's husband or wife boyfriend, girlfriend, dating relationship, friendship, neighbors, even cousin Eddie, like, you know, that comes and spoils Christmas every single year. That person that drives you crazy and you see him in the grocery store every single time. Come on, really? Does that really happen? Yep, there they are again. God calls us to this kind of love. And I love what Paul does here because I think he really breaks it down in this passage. He really makes it real because the things that he says that love doesn't are things that we tend to do all the time. The things that he talks about what love is, which we'll hit next week, are things that we just don't naturally do in terms of loving someone else. Let's take a look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read the whole passage here. Now, let, let me give you some context before I dive in. This is so important. and I'm sorry, I almost forgot it. It's so important. How many of you have been at weddings and you've, you've seen this read, you've heard it read at some kind of wedding? You can raise your hand. How many of you have seen it read in some form or fashion part of it? Okay, great. If you come to one of my weddings, I do the same thing. Because this is God's kind of love and it's the most pure kind of love. But I got to tell you, 
Paul was not writing this to pastors who preached wedding messages in 2016. He was writing it, Paul was writing it to a church group, a group of Christians in a place called Corinth. And in the chapter before, he describes a lot of the spiritual gifts. And so the church in Corinth was receiving their spiritual gifts. They were activating their spiritual gifts. They were helping each other out. They took their shape profile. They went on like 1 Corinthians website in Corinth there, and they downloaded their whole test, and they took their assessment, and they were using their shape profile. I'm just kidding. The internet didn't exist back in the you know, first century, okay? If you weren't with me, that didn't make any sense. But that, look, here's the deal. They were using that, but the problem was is they were beginning to get prideful about the gifts that God had given them, so much so that it became this huge competitive thing within the life of the church. And those people that had more spiritual gifts were bragging to other people in the church about their less spiritual gifts. So someone that was a prophet that was like the person that would prophet means watchman that was like looking out for the good of the church and they would call people out and say, hey, you got to stop this or this is going to happen. They were being more, they were being prideful about that gift. Uh, People that had the gift of discernment were being prideful about their gift and they were making others, someone who had the gift of helps, feel like they were less than. And so Paul, under the authority of God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this message to the church at Corinth to say, hey guys, you're missing it. You're missing it. He was stomping out their pride in a very loving way, of course, because he's talking about love. So he had to be loving about it, right? But he was stomping out their pride. That's the context that this was written. It applies across the board. But the context that was written is because of pride. How many times have you seen relationships end because of pride? How many times have you seen fractured friendships because of pride? How many times have you seen families destroyed because of pride? Paul was stomping out pride and love. God's kind of love does that very well. Let's take a look. If I speak, he says, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. He is essentially in those two verses telling all of the people that had the greater spiritual gifts, get out of town. You are too prideful. You have nothing. Don't impress me with your spirituality. If you don't love other people, you have nothing. He's not saying that those spiritual gifts are worthless. He's saying that they are worthless if they're not seasoned with a God kind of love. Are you with me this morning? Check out verse 3. If I give away all that I have, I've given everything to the poor. If I, if I deliver up my body to be burned, he's talking about for the cause of Christ, but I have not love, I gain, say it with me, nothing. Love is patient. <laughs> I don't like that one. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. I don't like that one either. Or resentful. I really don't like that one because resent makes me feel good. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Just remember that if you're a Panthers fan and you win tonight, okay? But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. Agape never ends. As for prophecies, now he goes back to those people who are being prideful. Um, They pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the, prof, the partial will pass away. And then I love this verse. When I was, was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, even as I have been fully known. So now... Faith, hope, and love abide. These things, three, these, these three things. But the greatest of them is love, agape. Paul is trying to level the playing field, but he's trying to point out that if we believe that we are spiritually superior to other people, and that includes those who are not non-Christians or who are non-Christians. If we believe that we are spiritually superior and don't have a basis of love, we have nothing. All these spiritual gifts he's just talked about, throw them out the door. And I don't know about you, I've probably done this a time or two myself, but I've met people that like are just like harsh in their spirituality. They're hard, but they're not loving. And some of you may have even been wounded by a person or people like that. And I want you to know today, I want you to know today that that is not from God. And he says it right here. There is a better way. And while we may, as a church in our culture, not brag about our spiritual gifts, hey, it actually might be nice. That might be a little bit good because it would say that we're into our spiritual gifts. Take your shape profile, by the way, online. Um, But if like, like we don't do that anymore, but I think we do have the tendency to get superior in our knowledge of the word of God when we're talking to other people and it comes across, it kind of oozes out, doesn't it? Like it's this super spiritual thing that we flavor everything with. And I want you to hear something. God is telling us that we need to flavor and season everything that we do with agape kind of love. Man, that is a tough call, isn't it? Listen, I'm just telling you right out of the gates. Next week I'm talking about kind, patience and kindness and I'm not looking forward to it. All right? Please come back next week. (laughs) Your pastor's not looking forward to it. You know why? Because that means that this week, God's going to give me plenty of opportunity to be patient and kind. God does that, doesn't he? Man, we've got it wrong, don't we? We think it's eros. We think it's phileo. We even think it's storge. Even those of you who've been Christ followers for a long time and you're solid in your faith, um, sometimes we allow the world to seep in to what we know to be true from God's word and change it and morph it. And all of a sudden, it's a generalized 
generalized word. I want to challenge you through this series. It's the bottom line today. Um, I want to challenge my, I'm in this with you, by the way. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to all of us. I want us to challenge our existing idea of love in order to truly understand what God is going to say here. Some of these things are very difficult. In many ways, they're counterintuitive and they're counter just being a sinful human. But God calls us to it church. He does. He calls us to this. Doesn't mean we have to be wimps. We can be strong and agape at the same time, can't we? We can use the experience that we've had and agape at the same time. We can be confident about our spiritual gifts and agape at the same time, but God wants to make sure that that foundation is built on love, his kind of love, agape love. Here's your action item for this week. I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13 um, every day this week. I'm going to do the same thing. And just allow God to, to help you understand the true definition of love. Allow, allow that to just simmer and settle so that you can be seasoned with love. And so we can talk about it over the next few weeks. You may have a better understanding from the Spirit of God, not just what I'm saying. How many of you like the Peanuts cartoons? Charlie Brown, Snoopy, love that, love that crew, man. They're, they're getting old, aren't they? But anyway, um, there's one particular one. It was in a uh, comic strip, and it showed uh, Lucy standing with her arms folded, that face scowled like she often does. She's ticked off, isn't she, about something? She always is. Charlie Brown looks at her, and he pleads with her, Lucy, my goodness, you must be more loving. You've, you've real, the world really needs you to love. you got to let yourself love to make this world a better place. And she angrily whirls around and pushes him to the ground. She yells at him, you blockhead, the world I love, people I hate. <laughs> and I think you and I get there pretty quick, don't we? We get there real quick when we're harmed or maybe even perceived that we're harmed or wronged or victimized or perceived victimized. And then all of a sudden, that root of bitterness sets in, and all of a sudden, we wake up one day, and we're like, I love the world. I hate people. Maybe it's even the people you're closest to you hate the most. And if you pulled and peeled back the layers on your heart, um, in terms of agape, it's barely beating. Um, over the next few weeks, I, I want to challenge your view of love the way you have it now because... I want you to build it back up over the next three weeks with what